0: Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Uh, so I wonder how many of you guys have had people come into your home to try to sell things to you. It, yeah, it's a dumb idea, right? Uh, so there's, there's this one guy who wanted to come in. This is like, Crystal and me, we'd been married about three years. And he wanted to come into our home and, and try to sell us pots and pans. I'm like, yeah, awesome. Because I got like, no money for groceries this week, dude. This sounds like a great idea. Here's the problem. You should know that if you're, if you're trying to go in a home and the way that you get in the home is free food, they might be too poor to buy the stuff that you're actually trying to sell. And so my thought was, as soon as he comes in, I'm like, I am, we're, I think I, I most likely had a, a talk with Crystal beforehand, even like, honey, no, <laughs> we're not buying anything. And so this guy starts cooking vegetables. I, it was a time in my life where I didn't eat vegetables. Vegetables were stupid. And this guy, he's making vegetables in this pan, and all of, he takes it out, and I eat it, and I don't know what kind of voodoo this guy did to these vegetables, but they were Delightful. I never have said delightful about vegetables in my entire life. And I'm like, Crystal, this is amazing. We might need to buy this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like, it, uh, maybe we need, he says, hey, this is an investment in a, for a lifetime. And so I'm like, how much? You are never going to have to buy pots and pans ever again. There's a lifetime guarantee. How much, dude? It's like $1,000. For pots and pans? No, for the one that I cooked that, those veggies in. I'm like, you crazy. OK, I'm not exactly sure exactly how much it was, but at least in my brain, I know that it was, it was probably like only 350 bucks for one pan only. I'm telling you, there was just no way I could do it. Chris and me, though, we were thinking like, OK, maybe, maybe we can do this. That food was really, really good. I need to eat vegetables, honey. But we just couldn't, we couldn't pull the trigger. So we said no to the guy. Uh, I'm telling you though, he put on a demonstration in our kitchen that has not happened since then I don't think with vegetables. And today we're going to talk about the demonstration that Jesus puts on for us. The things that he demonstrates that makes it almost impossible for somebody once they really see what that demonstrates, hard to say no to Jesus strong, things that make us strong. And one of the things that we do believe is we believe that there's something about baptism. Um, You know, David talks all the time about a, a healthy church has so many people getting baptized for how many people are in the church every single year. And I think that there's some real validity to that. People get into that place where they understand the demonstration of Jesus that he's given for them that would cause us to want to demonstrate through the act of water baptism. And now I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the passage that we're, we're going to look at today, man, it is a tough one. Uh, we were going through our teaching team uh, meeting on this one, and I, I just wrote out in notes, this is the hardest passage anybody's ever tried to preach on before. And so there's a lot of theological stuff. I'm, hopefully some of this um, we bring, shed some light to. I'll be honest, some of this you might, you might have more questions when you leave. That's Okay. It's okay to go, go home with more questions sometimes because the Bible is an incredible book for us and we're going to be constantly learning from it. And so, I want to take a look at this. Um, and we're going to see a lot of stuff that Jesus demonstrates through this passage. Okay? So, looking at 1 Peter 3:18 through 22. It says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit." After having made alive, he went and made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a cause that God's toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at, I think this passage pulls out four demonstrations of Jesus. Um, things that are so huge that it, it, it kind of it puts it in this place of like, I don't know how I can't follow Jesus. And so... Um, Baptism is one of these, this demonstration that we can can follow through with with Jesus and seeing what he's done for us. And so what does Jesus demonstrate uh, that makes him going all in for? The first thing we see is this. Jesus demonstrates sacrificial love, uh, unrighteous, to bring you to God. If you've been going to church for a while, uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, there is nothing foreign to you about this idea of, Jesus having sacrificial love for us. Like that one just makes sense. Yeah, I know Jesus has sacrificial love. That's why I chose to follow Jesus in the first place. Um, But I don't know if this is quite as clear cut of an idea in this passage to people not in the church as it is to us in the church. You know, I look at this verse and I say, Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. And I get all excited about that. And somebody else who's not a part of the church, they look at this passage and they go, Why would anybody have to die for me? Like, why can't God be a God of love that's just loving enough to just forgive without blood being shed? You think about that, like what if blood had to be shed every time forgiveness was made? That'd be kind of a crazy world to live in. Somebody comes to you and is like, hey, I'm sorry for for what I did to you the other day, and you're like, it's okay, I forgive you. I got a knife here, give me your arm. Like, that's, that's crazy. And so what in the world is going on why, why Jesus has to shed blood? And, and a lot of us, we would go to Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22, for those of us in the church, it makes sense. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But again, I think to people outside the church, this can sound kind of crazy. Why in the world would blood have to be shed in order for there to be forgiveness? And, and I think there may be a chance that we're a little bit misunderstanding something in this verse. Uh, The word here that's translated as forgiveness is a Greek word called ephesus. And that Greek word actually has, it has another understanding, uh, the term release. To be released from bondage or to be released from imprisonment. And I'm not so sure this passage actually in Hebrews 9.22, when it talks about the shedding of blood is required for forgiveness, I'm not so sure that it's not saying that the shedding of blood is required for the release of imprisonment, the release of bondage. Now, what is the difference there? See, in the Old Testament, uh, there was this old covenant. People... In this old covenant that was made with God, this old promise, this old will that, that God made with people was animals had to be shed, their blood had to, to, to be shed, they had to be killed in order for the set about a new covenant. And the new covenant, a lot of us, we think that, man, there's so much wrath that God has on our sin that that's why Jesus had to die, as a, to, to get rid of all of the, the, the consequences of sin, and it was God's wrath being placed on Jesus. I think that there's some validity to that, but I think maybe even more so what it is is Jesus' death was the start of this new covenant. It was putting to death this old covenant that now is, is obsolete. We don't have to go and kill animals in order to be forgiven. We don't have to shed blood in order to be forgiven because Jesus died and now this new covenant has, been, has taken hold in us. Uh, Jesus died less to appease God's wrath and more to give us his inheritance of righteousness. As an an inheritance, there has to be a death that comes along with that. And so Jesus died, and in his righteousness, he had lived a perfect life. He had lived righteously. And so then when he died, he was able to give us this inheritance of righteousness that we couldn't have on our own. See, I don't don't think that the death of Jesus was just because God had so much wrath. It was because God had so much love for us that he wanted to give us righteousness as an inheritance. There's something that can't be mistaken, though. Sin, whether it's against man or whether it's against God, sin, sin brings pain into the world. Your sin brings pain into the world. My sin brings pain into the world. And someone had to absorb that pain in order for forgiveness to take place. Follow me for just a second on that one, okay? If, if you had a friend and that friend said something really untrue about you to people around you, you're going to want to get back at that person probably. Maybe they didn't say anything untrue. Maybe they said things that were totally true, but they were told by you to them in confidence. There is a thing in us that when we have pain like that, we want to give that pain back out because we don't like to absorb the pain. Um, and Whether you are a kind person or a mean person, it's the same for all of us. The mean people like me, when people do things to us that we don't like, we want to yell at them back. The nice people like some of you, you decide, well, I'm just going to shut them out and give them pain that way, but you're not being mean. It doesn't look like you're being mean. For forgiveness to take place, someone has to absorb pain rather than inflict it back on somebody else. Forgiveness means absorbing pain, and that's what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross is a physical and visual representation of God, God absorbing the pain of our sin. That's why it had to be as violent as it was. There is so much devastation in our sin that that, that visual representation of God absorbing it through Jesus, it's taking place on the cross, and it's violent, Again, it says here in, in this verse, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus' sacrifice was more than just about giving us forgiveness. I talked about it a minute ago. It's about being able to give us righteousness. When I forgive somebody, I can't make them any better of a person. All I can do is, is absorb whatever they, they gave to me and, and not, not give back whatever it is I want to. What Jesus does in his forgiveness is something completely beyond what we can do for other people in our forgiveness. He actually gives us righteousness. He takes away the penalty of the sin and all the uckiness of sin. That's what I was saying to some of these people that were getting baptized today is all that stuff that's in your past, it's gone. Jesus has taken it and he's actually given you something good in its place. He's given us righteousness. Jesus' sacrificial love wasn't just found in him dying for us. It was also found in him living perfectly so that he could make the transfer of his perfection for our imperfection. His sacrifice just wasn't on the cross. His sacrifice was when he was living life and going through temptation. And he did not give in to that temptation, even though it probably would have been enjoyable in a human standpoint. He didn't give into it. That was part of his sacrifice so that he could do more than just forgive us, he could give us righteousness. That's sacrificial love. Again, I think some people they think, man, how awful it is that God would require such a violent death for things that we've done wrong. But here's the thing that we sometimes don't think about that. When people get upset that, that death took place like this in order for us to be forgiven. I look at and I go, yeah, there's a consequence for sin, but God gave me a way out. I don't have to take on that consequence. I don't have to now die in my sin. God, while he, maybe, while he maybe wants there to be perfection, he didn't expect it out of me. He went and he lived it himself through Jesus. There is something so powerful in that, that he would give us that kind of sacrificial love, that he would want perfection, but then know that we can't live it, and he would live it himself. Yeah, it's super powerful. That is an awesome kind of love that we see in the sacrificial love of Jesus. I cannot do the sacrificial love of Jesus d- justice. I hope even just a little bit of what I said made sense and that it, it brings into light just how good that love is. But I want to get to the second thing that Jesus demonstrates in this passage. Uh, that was the longest of the four points, just so you know, so you can breathe well, okay? Second thing is this. Jesus demonstrates his unprecedented power. It says in verse 18, the second part of it, it says, Jesus was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. I don't want to pretend that I understand everything that Peter is saying in this passage. Because it's hard to understand. When he's saying this, is he saying, well, Jesus, Jesus didn't have the spirit while he was living in this life. The spirit wasn't made alive in him. Ah, there's... You look at the life of Jesus. I mean, he's raising people from the dead. He's healing people all the time. He's preaching. And people are drawn near to the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit was evident on Jesus' life. But there's something about the death of Jesus that enabled a deeper power of the Holy Spirit to begin moving. There's something about Jesus' death that did—you listen to what Jesus tells his friends. Oh, Jesus, we don't want you to die. They're good friends. They don't want their, their buddy to die. And then Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus ignited the Holy Spirit. In his death, he ignited the Holy Spirit in a way that was not happening before Jesus died. Jesus could now be present with his disciples without actually even being there in bodily form. Jesus, through his Spirit, is able to be with every single one of us, no matter where you and I are at. You can be with the Packers right now over in Europe, and us here at the same time. That's a long distance. Here's the truth about the power of Jesus. You won't understand it until you experience it. When you experience the power of Jesus, it is like nothing else you've ever experienced. But here's the other thing. While we can experience the power of Jesus here in this life, we are never going to experience the power of Jesus like we will on the day that we see Jesus face to face. And so while, while I'm living for Jesus and, and, and see, going after uh, this unprecedented power that he has, I also know that I'm not going to experience it fully until the day I die and I get to see him. Jesus demonstrates imp- an, Im- an immense amount of power for our lives. And his death brings an even greater power than had he not died. And I think his unprecedented power actually leads us to another great demonstration that we see in this passage. Jesus demonstrates a stunning victory. If, this, if nothing else gets you excited, this part should probably get you excited, okay? It says in 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20, "...after obedient, long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built." All right, everybody, we just hit the part of the passage that is really, really weird and hard to explain, so I'm done. Like, this is, you read this, and, like, I I actually put in my notes for our teaching team meeting, I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, what is he, what is Peter trying to say in this? First off, if the stuff in the Bible that the Bible writers write doesn't sound weird to you you probably haven't read enough of the Bible. Like, we have bought a ticket into weirdness by buying into the ticket of Jesus. It's just part of the game. We believe in a God who was here before absolutely everything, who created the world out of nothing, who brought Jesus into the world, God and man, lived a perfect life, died, and rose again. Like, there's already weird going on. So if you haven't totally bought into it, now's probably a good time. But here's here's other weird. Weird is just thinking that this world isn't created by a higher power. That we were all just formed miraculously out of nothing at all. To me, that's what's weird. Weird is thinking that me, as a tiny little human being, that I can absolutely understand all the inner workings of the spiritual world. I can't understand all of it. None of us can. And so, yeah, this verse sounds a little bit weird. And you know what? It's okay to get to passages in the Bible and be like, "This, I don't know. I'm sure there's an explanation, but I don't get it right now. We're told that Jesus was made alive in the Spirit when he died. And then it says that he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. What in the world does that mean? I think the best explanation for this verse is that it seems to be saying that Jesus entered some spiritual realm where he made proclamation of his victory to what is most likely fallen angels. I, now, again, like you might be sitting here and being like, I just, I don't I don't know if I can buy into that. That sounds like weird stuff. There was spiritual warfare, spiritual stuff going on in the life of Jesus from the time he was born, even before he was born. He was born, the Bible says, to a virgin named Mary. That's, that's something spiritual going on there. And the moment that he was born, this guy named King Herod, Satan gets into his brain and says, you got to get rid of all the babies in this area because one of them is, gonna, is supposedly the king that's going to that's gonna take you out. And so he had babies throughout the land where Jesus was born, murdered. And so Jesus had to be taken away to Egypt. There was spiritual stuff going on throughout the life of Jesus. Stuff that nobody else really saw what was going on. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying before he was going to be uh, taken away. And, and one of his friends cast him aside and said, yeah, take him. And while he was in that garden, he said to his friends, would you pray with me? Because And they fell asleep. There have been spiritual stuff going on throughout the life of Jesus. So why can't he have the ability to go into some spiritual realm and claim his victory over everything that has taken place. It sounds weird, but it's also a stunning victory. I I get kind of excited when I'm thinking about Jesus going into some spiritual realm and just being like, I'll beat you. Like, I like that idea. I like a Jesus who can give a little trash talk. It's not the worst thing in my brain. There's something always seriously spiritual going on in the spiritual world. And here's what we know about that battle. Jesus has already won it. If there's anything that you get from that part of this passage, Jesus won the spiritual battle for us. So he won this, this victory. What's one more thing that he demonstrates in this passage? The fourth thing is Jesus demonstrates his glory. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 22. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Again, there is exciting stuff going on in this passage. Our God, Jesus, is sitting at the, the right hand of, his, of, of the Father in authority. Everything is in submission to him. A lot of you guys have probably been following what's happened uh, with over in England, uh, the last few month or so with the queen dying, I didn't realize I knew she was queen my whole life. I didn't realize it until she passed away. She was queen like a few months before my mom was born. That's a long time to be queen. 70 years. It was, that's crazy to me. Um, and now, now they got a king. But do you realize that in the course of, of, of a long time, that the power has been kind of whittled away from, from the kings and the queens in that country. They don't really have much power anymore. It's, it's kind of more of a ceremonial thing for the most part. Yet, they're on the cover of every magazine. They're, on, they're everywhere. They are given glory. Jesus, though, has true glory. Jesus has true power that no king in this world or queen in this world can actually have. He reigns on the throne that will never be defeated. He died to bring us forgiveness and freedom. And he was brought back to life so that he could sit on a seat of glory. See, our Jesus, he reigns supreme in that glory. And he always will. Jesus demonstrates for us all four of these things. A sacrificial love, an unprecedented power, a stunning victory, glory that goes on forever and ever. And this passage then indicates that there's this thing called baptism that is a part of our demonstration that we get to go forward in in return. We've gotten this salvation from Jesus and, and actually uh, Peter talks about the salvation of the water. These eight people back in the time of Noah, they, they built this ark and eight people were saved from the water. And he talks about how the, the water of baptism symbolizes that salvation that we have in Jesus. And so we go and we, we get in this, in this little tank that's crooked right now and we get baptized. It's not the, it's not the water itself that saves us. It's what Jesus did. It's a, it's a demonstration that we're going through. Um, I like what Paul talks about it in Romans 6. He says, Do you not know all of, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in, in a death like this, his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Baptism is not the thing that saves us. The life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, our faith in him doing that for us, that is what saves us. All his demonstrations of, of power and, and of goodness are so great that there's something. That's part of the thing about getting baptized, dunking your whole body in water. It is all in. In the demonstration of water baptism, you're not just immersed in water, you are immersing your life in Jesus. I love what our pastor, our lead pastor, David, he, what he says about baptism. He says, baptism is not an essential experience, but it is an expected experience. To immerse our life completely in Jesus. Maybe you were baptized a long time ago. And maybe that, that immersing your life into Jesus has felt like it's kind of waned a little bit. I'm telling you, you, you might maybe don't have to get baptized over again, but you can re-immerse your life into Jesus. It just takes coming to him. It just takes a simple prayer. God, I, I, know, I know I've been far. I, I know that I, I haven't had connection with you. But I want my life to be immersed in you. I want my life to be completely all in with you. Some of you in here, you, you've been baptized and your life does feel immersed in the life of Jesus. That is something to be thankful for. God gives us the ability to be able to be close to him. And so just like Jesus demonstrates his glory, take time today, take time a beautiful week to give glory back to God because you are in that place where you're immersed in the life of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. Some of you have not been baptized and you're, you're sitting here thinking, man, I, I've never really realized or thought about what it is that Jesus has done for me, the demonstration of his love for me. And it maybe scares me to get up in front of people to, and, and to demonstrate my love for him through baptism. But if Jesus did it, and if he called believers to do it, to go out into the world and, and, and to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then that's what I want. Because I want to be immersed as much as I can into the life of Jesus. Truth is, anybody that, as soon as the service is over, um, There's something powerful about being all in for Jesus. We will baptize you. But I also want you just to think about walking out of here thinking about God's demonstration of love for you this week. All the things that we've talked about, there's such a demonstration of his love. He's worth winning over our lives. My question is, how are you immersing your life in the life of Jesus? What's one thing that you can do this week to immerse yourself a little bit more in the life of Jesus? Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's taking more cons- concerned time praying. Maybe it's asking God for, for a change to happen in the life of a, of a friend. But how are you immersing your life in the life of Jesus this week? I want to I pray with you, and I want to pray and ask God that he will get us to that place of an immersed life. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.